prayer. Prayer is one of those basic Christian disciplines in our lives that we all know we should be doing, and yet it's often one of the hardest. It's hard to pray, which seems kind of strange because we just sit and talk to God. Prayer, prayer is talking to God. It's what I tell kids when I teach in kids' church or other venues or our teens and youth group. Prayer, prayer is talking to God. Sometimes we're, we're asking things. Uh, sometimes we're declaring things. Sometimes we're asking things on behalf of other people. Uh, sometimes we're just offering praise to God. But it's, it's just talking, but it's, but it's hard. But when we pray, we communicate our hearts, which the theme of our summer series, my heart looks to you. That's what I hope is true for each of us, but maybe it's a time to ask, is that the case? Is that theme true for me? My heart looks to you. And in Psalm 67, we have a song of prayer sung by the nation of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people going all the way back to Abraham. They were worshipers, the true worshipers of Yahweh, the one true God. And if you look at the history of Israel as a nation, as a people, um, it tells the story of God's deliverance, his salvation, his power and his might as he delivers them continually from the hands of their enemies, as we see that God brings them into a new land to dwell in. They could point to the, prop, the prophets who spoke Yahweh's word to them. They were God's people. And most of the Old Testament is a story about this, this tiny nation and God's dealing with them, but he's doing something much, much bigger. When we look at Israel, we would say, and they would say, that they were blessed of God, which is totally true. I mean, God set his favor on them for nothing that they have done, and yet he, he made himself known to them. And yet, through the years, the result of that, that status, so to speak, some of the people of Israel started to see themselves as, as better than the other nations. Uh, Jesus' life and ministry, does he not deal with that quite a bit? I mean, we won't even go through Samaria. We're going around it. These dogs, these Gentiles that are of the other nations. And it was in the mind of many people in Israel, it was as if God's blessing was for them to enjoy and nobody else. It's, it's this us versus them mindset. And, and the church today, God's people, we would, we would agree that that's what the scripture reveals to us, that, that those who are part of the church saved by the finished work of Christ and that work alone are now God's people. And that same mindset can start to creep in. There's this us in here and there's the them out there. And the blessing of God is, is for us to enjoy. But we come to Psalm 67 and we see a very different perspective in this song. From that perspective, it reveals that God's heart is not just for Israel, but the heart of God is for the nations. The heart of God is for the them out there as well as the us in here. And in this psalm, we're going to look at three prayers. We could have broken it up to four or five prayers, but 
boiled it down to three that demonstrate the heart of God. And I think a question we can ask as we study this psalm is, is your heart in tune with God's heart? Because the prayer that they're praying is not just words that they've made up themselves that sound good. What we're going to see is that this is God's heart that they are praying. And if we're going to agree with our series theme, my heart looks to you, then these prayers will be the prayers of our heart as well. So i got three prayers. Let's start right into number one. Prayer number one, God, bless us so that you may be known. Notice verses one and two. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Now verse one might sound very familiar to some of you. It's a verse that oftentimes gets used in benedictions at the end of worship services. Um, It would have been very familiar to the people of Israel because it's not the first time that we see these words. These words are taken from Numbers 6, 22 to 26, which I have for you, uh, so you don't even have to turn there, but you can jot it down if you're taking notes, where here God instructs the, the priest, Aaron and his sons, Uh, to pronounce a blessing on the people of God. And here's what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We're gonna come back to this at the end. But here is, here is what this Psalm 67 really is, is referencing and quoting. So that the words are nothing new to the people. But here in Psalm 67, it's not the priests that are saying these words. Now it's the people, the people echoing the blessing in their own words. They are praying this for themselves. It's not just something that's being pronounced about them, but they are saying, yes, we want this to be the reality for our lives. You'll notice as they're praying this for themselves, the us language. Bless us. Be gracious to us. Israel sees themselves as one unified people. So as each individual person is, is singing this prayer, it's not a prayer for just themselves, but it's a prayer for the body. That all would would experience God's grace and blessing and God's face shining upon them. It's almost like, well, how many years ago now has no child been left behind? And I know there's all kinds of debates in education about whether that is helpful or not. But it's no person left behind. This is an us prayer. And you note the request here, be gracious to us. Look, we, we don't deserve what we're asking. So we're going to lead with asking for your grace, your undeserved favor, because we need your grace. We're undeserving of this. And then he says, then they say, bless us. You know, when a person sneezes, a common response is, God bless you. If you're German or identify as German, you say, Gesundheit. But what do these words mean? Have I ever even thought about what those mean when we even say them? When someone sneezes? 
It means give us your divine favor. Give us your favor that can only come from God, you. God, bless us. And these are all tied in together because God's The blessing of God is all of his grace, but it also points to the third request here, make his face shine upon us. We think, what what does that mean? Make his face shine upon us. I I thought no one has ever seen God, and that would be right. The Bible teaches that no one has ever seen God. The closest we get is Moses catching a glimpse of God's train and his glory is so impressed on Moses that when Moses comes back to the people, they have to put a veil over his face because the glory of God is shining so brightly. But here it says, make his face shine on us. What, What is he talking about? This phrase is talking about God's glorious presence in relationship with him. So yes, no one has seen God, and God is not able to be uh, um, put into a, a body, so to speak. That's what the person of Jesus Christ, he became like us, but God is spirit. And so it's his glorious presence. It's a prayer for God's glory to be close and present, to shine on us. Much like we would think about him shining on Moses. So God's face is being turn in favor of us. His glorious presence is shining into our lives. This is the ultimate demonstration of God's blessing. When when we think God bless us, I don't know what comes into your mind. I don't know what the first thought is, but if it's material things, if it's great circumstances, boy, we have a very low perspective of what God's blessing is. It's his glorious presence in our lives. This is the ultimate blessing of God. It's what it means to be blessed. And so these requests can really be summed up in here in verse number one. God, bless your people with you. It's you that we want. And what greater blessing is there than that? So please don't don't allow your understanding of blessing to be limited to earthly comforts. There are many disciples of the Lord that tasted a sweet, sweet relationship that had very few earthly blessings, very few earthly comforts, but they had what mattered most, the presence of God. There's something else we need to see, though, in this prayer. In verse number two, God's blessing on Israel isn't just for Israel's benefit. Why are they asking this? It's not just a selfish prayer for Israel. No, God's glory and favor is not just, hey, we want to enjoy this in private. This us versus them. No, what does he say? So that, I I supplied the so, at least in the ESV, your way may be known on the earth, that your saving power would be known among all nations. They wanted God to be known across the earth. They wanted God's saving power to be known among the nations, even the enemy nations. Those people that were doing them wrong over and over, and if if at the drop of a hat they were able, those nations would attack them and overthrow them, and yet their prayer is that God would bless them, not so that the blessing would stay with them, but that so all the nations would be blessed. 
Israel didn't see themselves as the end of the road for God's blessing, but a conduit for God's glory to flow to the nations of the earth. They were going to be a go-between. Is, it, is this the prayer of our church this morning? Do, do we pray for us? Us to know God so that others would know him? And if we stop and think about this prayer, it's, it's not an easy prayer. God, be gracious to us. That's a prayer of humility. It takes a lot to say, look, I don't deserve this. Would you be gracious to us? Show us the glory of your face. Let, the, let, let your face be turned towards us that we would see your glory and that it would shine into our lives. I think most people think this is a, a warm and fuzzy spiritual feeling like when you hear a good Christian song. That just warms my heart. I feel, I feel close to God. You know, you know what? I, I know what that feels like. I get it. You know what I'm talking about. But when God's glory shines in your life, it will expose things that you might not want to see exposed. It exposes your motives. It's going to expose your heart, your attitude, your thinking. It reveals the depth of your sin, and it can do nothing else but change us. If you don't want to be confronted with those things in your life, you don't want God's face to shine on you. You don't want the presence of his glory. It's not always warm and fuzzy. Sometimes it stings. Sometimes it causes us to admit our guilt and brings us to our knees in repentance. But it's always sweet in the end. And it needs to happen if God's people are going to be a light to the nations that they would see the saving power of God. The world doesn't need to see perfect, cleaned up, hypocritical Christians. They need to see people that are met with the glory of God and broken. This is not a prayer to be better evangelist. It's not a prayer to be able to share the gospel better. It's a prayer that says, God, would you bless us with you in all of your glory. And when your glory is present, it is going to radically change us to be more like you. It's going to drive out sin. It's going to bring us to our knees to bow before our great God. This is what God's face shining on us is going to do. And as we do that, it is a testimony to the nations and we become a conduit for God's saving power. To reach our community and by extension to reach our world with the gospel, we don't need more ingenuity and clever ideas and big ticket activities or whatever else you want to throw out there that's going to draw a crowd. We need people who pray for the blessing of God's glorious presence and allow that to so change us that the world around us is captivated. And I'm not, listen, don't misunderstand, I'm not suggesting we sit on our hands and do nothing. But whatever we do, it comes with a, a unity, this us mindset, and a prayer for God's presence that would change who we are. 
So the first prayer, God bless us so that you would be known. Number two, the second prayer that I think reveals the heart of God, God let all the peoples know you intimately. You'll notice verses three to five, let all the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let, all, let, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. So the, quest, the request for Israel, for the nations, deepens in verse number three. And then that same request is repeated in verse number five. It's not just a prayer for the nations to know God, but to know Him in such a way that they will express praise for Him. There's a deepening in their knowledge. One of the most exciting things in life is to be able to express our praise for something. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. To be quite honest, until this sermon, I don't know if I've ever thought about that, but, I, but, but it's true. We praise what we delight in, and that's an outlet for us to enjoy even more the thing that we delight in. Maybe you've gone to a sporting event or a play or a concert or whatever else that you enjoy, some, some kind of thing. And if you enjoy it, your ride home is usually filled with conversations about praise for your team or the players and how great they did or the actors or the musicians or, or what, whatever the case might be. Now, if you're a Cowboys fan, that might be hard to imagine that you can do that after a game. But you can. The praise gives us an outlet for the thing that we delight in. I don't just, it can't just be bottled up. I gotta, I gotta talk about it. I gotta tell somebody about this. So Israel's prayer then is that all peoples, not just some, not the ones they like, not the ones who they think are worthy, but that all peoples would come to praise God. And it's repeated twice, like I mentioned, verses 3 and 5. And why, why would it be repeated twice? Well, in Hebrew pro poetry, these verses are going to act as a bookend, really to highlight what's in the middle. And what's in the middle? Verse number 4, which is another prayer that I've kind of just put in with this prayer here as, as, as far as our second point. But it's another prayer. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. So here we have both an internal joy and an external joy. There's a gladness of heart that is going to bring itself out in singing for joy. And we are told what the reason for their joy is at the end, the second part of verse number four. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. So the reason for their joy is because they themselves have submitted to and experienced God's justice and his leading in their lives. Living under God's rule as king, or we, would, we could even tie that into his presence, proves to be the greatest of blessings. He is the judge of all people and he judges with equity. Interesting word. We kind of know what it means, I think. But it's like level plane, straight, a straightness. Let's think about a crooked politician. You know, that, that kind of phrase. You don't know which way they're going to go. They might be bribed over here. They might uh, 
allow other distractions to move their position over here. They, they're, they're crooked. They're not straight. But here, God judges with straightness, with equity. We know what to expect. He can't be bribed. He can't be manipulated. And if we want a leader, this is the kind of leader we want. Someone who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is a leader, as it says, that will guide. He will lead the nations. He will lead them in what is good and right. He will lead them in truth. Lead them in righteousness. So this prayer is just more than general words that, that the psalmist said, you know what, this would be kind of a good thing for us to pray. No, th- this is a prayer that the nations would know not just about God, but they would experience him and they would rejoice and delight in him. I was talking with somebody Friday and we were talking about this psalm and uh, this thought came into my mind. There are plenty people in hell that know about God, but that knowledge will never lead them to praise him. You can know all about God, but the prayer of Israel and the prayer of God's heart that you would know me in such a way that you trust me and you believe in me and it results in praise of me because my heart is in tune with your heart. You say, well, Pastor Dennis, I, how do I pray this prayer for others when I don't experience this joy and delight myself? I've been there. You go through periods of sadness or depression, and there is no joy. I have a couple thoughts in thinking about that. First of all, I don't think it's possible to have true joy if you don't know Jesus. He is joy. So if you don't know him and you have no relationship with him, You're you're going to search for joy in many places and you will never find it. But also, I do think it's possible to struggle with joy even when you know Jesus. But but I think, I, I don't think I'm simplifying too much here. I can boil it down to this. Our joy is directly related to our faith. Think about when you and I experience a lack of joy. It's often when circumstances aren't what they want, we want them to be. That didn't work out the way I want. Boy, these coworkers, they're not as easy to get along with as I thought. My classmates aren't who I thought them to be. This country is headed in the wrong direction. And you have all these circumstances that we don't like, and it robs us of our joy. But what if in all of those situations we had the perspective of God's good rule and his leading. When we have a full trust and confidence that God's rule is good and right, equitable, and that he will lead us wherever we need to go, not where we think we should go, where he is going to lead us, then joy comes, not in our circumstances, but it comes in our God. So joy is is directly related to our faith, which is why a great prayer to pray outside of Psalm 67, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, because we're going to struggle with that. 
But if you're struggling with joy and delight today, ask yourself, do do I truly believe that God, his rule is good and right and he is leading me? As as God's people here today, our, our, our prayer should be that all peoples would be growing in faith in God that produces praise and rejoicing it's a, see, it's a heart alignment issue. And, and God doesn't have to align his heart with ours. We need to align our heart with his. We will only praise him and the nations will only praise him when our hearts align with his. In the, in the aligning of our hearts to his, there, there is a submission that takes place as we recognize God's position as king and Lord of all. We bow the knee in every area. Be careful, be careful here not to let the, the butts slip in. Say, what in the world is he talking about? Well, here's what I mean. I, I believe Jesus is Lord of all, but you have to understand my situation. But you just don't know my past. But life has thrown me a curveball. And if we tend to say, I believe, but, then we need to ask, is, is our trust fully and truly in our God? If it's not, it's going to be a struggle to praise him. It's going to be a struggle to find internal joy that results in external praise. But when we do, when we entrust ourselves fully to him, we will praise him and the joy will overflow, which will result in the nations praising God. Your joy produces something in those around you. Your life has an impact on others one way or another. Nobody's stagnant. Our church has an impact one way or another in our community. Good or bad, do we desire that our neighbors know God intimately? That they would praise him. Israel, think about Israel. They're surrounded by enemies that hate them. And yet here's the prayer of their hearts. That those enemies would know you so well that they would offer the same praise. That that they would experience what we experience. Oh, let this be the prayer of our church as it echoes the heart of God for the nations. So first prayer, God bless us so that you would be known. Second prayer, let all the peoples know you intimately. And the third prayer is is not so much a request. Prayer is not always a request. Here's the third prayer. God, we are confident that you will do this. All this is done with a confidence that God will complete and deliver on their request Why? What do they say in verse 6 and 7? The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So they've already experienced God's blessing. That's expressed in that very first phrase of verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. You can go back to Leviticus 26.4, where one of the indications of God's blessing was that the earth would yield its increase. So there's a past experience that they understand, well, God has already done this. He's already shown a sign of his favor being upon us. But there's a confidence in the future that God will continue to do this. 
that his name will spread to the ends of the earth and people will fear him. And we have to zoom out a little bit to understand all, the, all that, that we need to understand about these verses. So ultimately, we're headed to a new Garden of Eden, a new earth. A new heaven and new earth. That, 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 that's, that's what we think about, new heaven and new earth, but we're going back. God is restoring what was broken at the beginning, the garden where God and man would dwell together. Where the, the future then, the earth would yield its increase eternally. The ends of the earth would fear him. That is, they would stand in awe and reverence him, worshiping him. This is the future. But we say, well, Okay, how, do, how can they be confident that, that they know he's going to do this? They're going to bless, he's going to bless them in the future. This is where I want to go back to Numbers chapter 6. So we ended at verse 26, but um, one back, I think. I think that's Genesis 12. We ended at verse 26. Numbers chapter 6 and verse 27. It could, could have been a PowerPoint error by the person that put it together. I need to get someone better to do that. There we go. So after all of this blessing that, that, that Aaron and the priests were supposed to pronounce on the people that they're... God's face would shine on, that he would be uh, gracious and he would bless us. Here's how that chapter ends. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. There's a promise here of God. But notice what is happening here. As As God tells Aaron to pronounce over the people this blessing, it was a sign of God's ownership of the people. He's putting his name on his people. His name is written on his people. We write our names on the things that we own or we somehow have our name attached to something we own through a document, at least if they're things that are important. God's name, he says, look, I pronounce this blessing over you and I'm writing my name on my people. And he promises them what? I will bless them. So then Israel has a confidence going back to this benediction in Numbers chapter 6, but their confidence goes back even further. And this is where we're going to go to Genesis 12, to the covenant that God made with their father Abraham. You might know these verses, you may not, but they're pretty familiar as far as God's covenant promise to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go to your country, from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? Same reasoning, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So through Abraham and his offspring, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by God. They're going to come to know God. So as we think about Psalm 67... Again, Israel doesn't think, hey, these would be good words to pray. No, these prayers align with what they know about God's heart. 
the things that they've already learned about God and their heart is being aligned with God's heart so that they would pray this prayer. So the prayers of verses 1 through 5, they're not long-shot prayers. They're not wishful thinking, like, I hope this is to be the case, but I don't know. It just seems like we should... No, they are exactly what God is working to do. It's the promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. It's the, the promise given in that benediction in Numbers chapter 6. That God was using Israel to do something and accomplish something greater than themselves. You know, God is not obligated to answer every prayer the way we want. But he, he is, in a sense, bound to to answer those requests that align with his heart. It may not always be in our timing. It may not always unfold the way we want to. But when we align our prayers with God's heart, we know that eventually this will be the end. This will be the answer to that prayer. It's moving in that direction. Now, just as Israel was a beacon of the gospel to the nations, we as a church are to be a beacon of the gospel to the nations. When this is the prayer of our hearts, we can be confident that God is going to answer it accordingly, but we have a greater confidence than Israel. Like I think those passages are pretty convincing to say, this is why they were so confident, but our confidence is even greater. Sure, we can look to the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis 12, but we know that the offspring that was promised has already come, and, the, and that blessing was not going to just come through the people of Israel, but the, the one that would come is Jesus, and he was the ultimate blessing to the nations. We can be confident in that, like Israel was to be a blessing to the nations, Jesus, who is the greater Israel, is the ultimate way for all nations to be blessed. And then as believers who are in Christ, we, we say that sometimes, we are in Christ, but when we think, stop and think, when we are in Christ, we share in Christ's work of blessing the nations. We are his body and it's through his work in us that we bless the nations around us. And our confidence is not in ourselves, but it's in Jesus. These requests are not even possible except for Jesus. I mean, th- think about th- what Israel is asking or what we would potentially pray. Would we pray, verse number four, that the nations would know that God is the judge if it weren't for Jesus that took the judgment? How can we begin to even pray verse number one? And how could those prayers ever be answered unless Jesus laid his life down willingly on a cross? Look again at the request of verse number one. Be gracious to us. Bless us. Let your face shine upon us. Consider how these things are possible for us to experience today only because of what Jesus has done. He received full judgment so that God can be gracious to us. He became a curse so that God could bless us. He saw the Father's back so God could turn his face to us. 
the confident prayer that God will bless us and that the ends of the earth will fear him is the result of Jesus crying out, it is finished as he hung on the cross. He's, the work of redemption is complete and God is working now to accomplish his eternal purpose when Jesus returns and reigns over his new creation and we enjoy the presence of his glory forever. That's what we're moving to. That needs to be the prayer of our hearts. And the heart of God is bigger than any one person or any one nation. Unless you're Jewish, you should be thankful for Psalm 67. The heart of God is for the nations. And the prayers of this psalm demonstrate not only how we should pray, but what our heart attitude needs to be. In other words, it can't just be lips or words on our lips. It has to be the desire of our hearts. We are saved for a purpose. Our mission is to see the glory of God go to the ends of the earth. And as God blesses his people by graciously revealing his glorious presence in our lives, it allows those on the outside to look in and see God's saving power. Church, what what are we showing to those around us? Is our prayer a corporate prayer for this body to experience the blessing of God's glory? To be changed by that glory so that the peoples would come to know God and rejoice at who he is? Is that our prayer? Jesus instructs his disciples to pray. And I think it's really, in many ways, a summary of this prayer here. You know it. It's part of what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. But in that prayer, he says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the kingdom, the heavenly kingdom of God would be made known on this earth And God's heart is that his kingdom would be realized among the nations. Let us pray with confidence that he will bless us so that the nations would know him.